きっとそうだ Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 202 and our movie this week is from 2009 called Fish Story and here to talk with me about it because he loved the movie and made me watch it. It's Miles from The More You Nerd. Miles, how you doing man? I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm I'm kind of evangelical about this film. I, I made my co-host Drew watch it for the Emory Nerd, and he was really excited when he found out that we were doing this. And I can't wait to talk about this one because it's it's one that I don't think a lot of people have seen. It's really under the radar. Like mm-hmm. even even in like the Japanese like film scene, this one does does not get talked about a lot. And it's I feel like it's my job to <laughs> make people watch this one. Okay, so so you brought this movie up. Here's my history with Fish Story prior to watching it for this episode. Um, <laughs> you brought it up a couple of weeks ago uh, as, hey, have you heard of this movie Fish Story? And I'm like, no, I had not heard of it at all. I knew nothing about it going into it completely blind. So what I want to know is what's your history with it? Where did you, like, how did you stumble upon it? Or was it shown to you by somebody? No, like, that, that's exactly how I discovered it. I, I so I, I I follow some uh, screenwriters on on Twitter, mm-hmm. and someone had mentioned a story or a film about a punk rock song that saved the world, about this like esoteric Japanese film that no one had seen, and I made it my mission to to find it because I was like, this is a hundred percent the kind of movie I would like to see, mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten, when when that kind of thing happens, it tends to be a little disappointing and. That was not the case with this one. This was just a happy accident, and it became immediately one of my favorite movies. It, so I was, I read the synopsis, and it's basically what it says: "It's a punk rock song saves the world in 2012." Uh, interconnected stories. I'm like, I don't, I, I okay, let's. Uh, I just sat down and watched it. I had a great time with this movie. This movie was super fun. I was drawn back to. Um, and it's a completely different film, but Amy Frost brought uh, Amelie to me a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, and I had not seen that. I knew of Amelie. I had heard of it. I had seen the the box art countless times, yeah. but I knew nothing else about it, and I sat down and watched that, and I fell in love. That movie was just adorable and fantastic, and I had a very similar sort of emotional reaction to this movie. Like I sat down, I started watching it and at first I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. Yeah. I'm kind of getting into this and the music was great. But as this, as this movie unfolded and more and more started happening, something in it clicked. And I was just like, this is fantastic. And I can't, I can't articulate an exact reason why. Like I can't tell you it's this great writing or these great characters or, or anything. But there's something about the sum of the parts. The sum is is greater. Uh, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So, uh, did you grow up being a fan of of music at all? Absolutely, like, love did, love okay. music. So, 
Do you remember when you were a kid or like a teenager and you brought your CDs or records or whatever over to your friend's house to like not to show off, but like, hey, this is what I'm listening to. You should check this out. Mm -hmm. This feels like stumbling across that like one faded record that you hadn't heard that someone showed you. Mm -hmm. And this is this beautiful mixtape love letter to everyone who has picked up an instrument and did something creative with it. And there is something very punk rock about the story itself. Yes. And, and, and especially with the characters, like that mantra, it'll never sell. And like laughing and being like, that's fine. And unfortunately the the movie was fated to have the same uh history as as the song itself Mm -hmm. um it only very recently got a uh, blu-ray release by a a british uh imprint called third window films okay and if you're interested in buying it it's this version and it's playable in american systems because it says it's it's region b i contacted them because i mean i I have a I had a library copy on DVD like I bought from a library. And when I saw this was announced, I was like, I'm going to buy it anyway for posterity's sake. But I I contacted Third Window and asked if it would play in American players. And they said, yeah, it says region B, but it's actually region zero. Okay, that's awesome. And I've I've tested it on my my PlayStation and my Xbox. So it it works. That's great, because I do feel like this is uh, finding this movie at first. You mentioned it, and then I kind of it kind of went out of sight, out of mind for for a week or two, and I didn't think about it. Right. And then the weekend was coming up, and I'm like, all right, I got to get ready to watch the movie. And I'm thinking, where am I going to watch this? So I start searching like my normal search areas, and, and like they don't even you because I could have hooked you up. <laughs> and like they don't even have it listed on a couple of these, nope. and and no, all this, and I ended up finding somebody put it on. I think it was archive.org. There's a a full version of it mm. there. And but I with a title like Fish Story, I was like, is this the right movie or not? So I started watching it and I had the IMDb page up and I had a couple of the screen caps and I was just mm-hmm. watching until I saw something that looked like one of the screen caps. I'm like, OK, there we go. We got the movie. So I'm fine. Um, and you mentioned how it like the story gets very punk rock. And that was one of those things when you start dealing with the band because the describing this movie doesn't do it any justice right because you can sit here and describe it yeah that is a perfect word for it and because not only are they kind of disparate stories that are loosely interconnected and interconnected loosely is is the proper term there but they're so different in tone in what they're giving you and so it's very much a mixtape um but when we got to the stuff with the band and remind me how the band's name is pronounced because I'm going to get it um, wrong, I'm sure. It's uh, Genkiran, I think. Okay. And but we started. I, I often get it wrong, so, <laughs> so don't worry. About I'm gonna me. I'm gonna butcher all sorts of names tonight, so just bear with me, please. Faye in the chat room, who speaks a little bit of Japanese, is going to tear me apart for it. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. Um, but we get to the band, and their story was so, so punk rock, right? They're it's 1975. Yes we get to see them playing at like this dinner club and nobody wants to hear their music at all. It looks like the best show ever too. It really does. <laughs> it looks so awesome. And there's like, everybody's yelling at him, play slower song. Nobody wants to hear punk rock in Japan in 1975. Nobody. And it exists. And, uh, 
<laughs> that scene was great because they're they're playing their song and the the like Mater D or somebody comes up and tries to get them to to slow it down and calm it down mm-hmm. and the bass player uh, Shigeki finally like looks angry and just kind of walks over in the middle of the song and then kind of stops playing and so they they regroup and they start playing a very slow ballad and they they make it like thirty seconds a minute into this ballad. And the guitar player and the bass player, they're just, they're having none of it. And they start kicking back into their punk rock. And it's so yeah. good. I mean, he even flipped his pedal off and he's playing clean, no no distortion on the guitar. And then all of a sudden he's just like, nope, stomp on that pedal and start going. And the people get pissed off at them. So they just stage dive. Like, I love Shigeke just running out there, <laughs> drops his bass, runs all the way and yeah. just dives on that guy. My, my favorite is though, just the way that the drummer always smiles. It's that 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 one oh. character that's like that seems to be aloof but always has that knowing smile and he's so fantastic. He okay, honestly, favorite member of the band was the drummer. Yes, he, there was something 100%. about him because he was just like that's perfect. He's, he's aloof. A he's always kind of he's there but not quite always fully there, and you can tell. Then you find out later on he's got like seven kids at home. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now it makes sense. When he talks about being called a talentless loser and then he points to himself and then he points to both people (laughs) and like he doesn't understand, but also is like, this is stupid. Um, What I love about that whole thing is because the movie kind of stops to tell the story of the band. It becomes Mm -hmm. like a a band biopic of a band that never existed for about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's the perfect way to tell this story because you have this cool like mixtape of stories and it's i love this mixtape of stories because some of it is very uh super sentai-ish yeah. you know with the, the the champion of justice story but you also have one that like feels like an urban legend horror story and it, honestly okay i love All right. that so much okay so let, let's talk about these these mixtape stories and then we'll come back to the band because mm-hmm. it starts us off the first story is like 1982 and it's a couple guys are out and they're they're riding along in the car and their friend or somebody is driving, but they're going through these tapes. And he starts talking about like these kind of urban legends on these tapes of these songs. Um, and the one in particular is Fish Story. And they they tell you the story of the minute long muted gap in the song. Um, and that whole thing, like horror is the perfect way to put that because it felt like a Japanese horror film in so many parts of that. And I kept waiting for like things to happen. And we got the tape sort of going into the tape player, uh, which was a little strange, but like, I just kept waiting for more. Like I was tense that whole time waiting for more you know, things to time, happen. The first time I watched that film, I was like waiting for, cause I'm a big J horror person. So mm-hmm. I was waiting for something to happen. I was waiting for him to look behind the car. Cause I had that great shot of the entire highway in the dark. And I was waiting for someone in white to just be like standing there. Yeah. And so when he hears that scream and it's not that situation, I liked it even more because it was subverting the the trope because apparently this director has done a lot of the uh, kind of a fa- not found footage, but like that kind of uh, POV horror stuff. Okay. And like for, I think Japanese television and I can definitely see that because the way that whole thing is framed is as a horror story. And what shows, I think, to me, the the real skill as a director is it feels also different from every other story he's telling. Like when he yes. does the, the Champion of Justice story, 
it does not feel the same and it's not it's not shot the same and i really appreciated that that kind of feeling of i'm getting a mixtape of stories and for me i'm also a big fan of urban legends mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. using those for 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 genre storytelling and so like th- this thing was like tailor made for me <laughs> <laughs> well it was great because it starts off you get a little bit of this like you know oh they're they're playing the tapes and they talk about there's the minute long gap in the song and there's the story that, oh, it must have been something happened or, you know, if you have a sixth sense, you hear a woman screaming on the tape, but most right. people don't. And you've got kind of the, the guy that's driving them around is very put upon and they, they the one dude treats him terribly and they they meet up with some girls and he's just, you know, almost forgotten and like to the point where the guy even says he's not even here. He's just our driver. Um yeah, the the relationship between him and everyone else is very weird because he says that, but it also seems like that kind of like one friend who goes along with everything yeah. just to be included. That was the vibe I kind of got from him. Yep, I did too. I did too. Um and but as the as that scene moves on and then like somehow something supernatural gets mentioned and the girl's like, Oh, uh, you know, the she's really into that. And so she starts talking about like premonitions. And she's telling that guy mm-hmm. that he's fated to meet a woman that night. Um, and all this stuff is going on. And it just, it keeps building this almost dread throughout the whole thing. And it was so well done. And we don't get the payoff of what happened in that moment when he runs in. So he there's he's driving along when he stops right in front of the tunnel. Which, by the way, was that was that shot I just loved. I love that. It's, it's fantastic. And how often do you see a bridge that goes right into a tunnel like that? It looked so odd to me, but I like at the same time it looked amazing. Um, I, I I see it. Um, oh, so my mom lives in Tennessee, so they're uh, going up twenty six from South Carolina. You do go through a tunnel very much like that, but if you stopped, you would cause an absolute. <laughs> horrible accident uh it's it's not not a regular uh road but i i do see that when i go up to see my mom so it's cool to see that in a regular context Mm -hmm. um Um, but yeah i love like he stops there and then he hears something and you're right there's that whole thing where you keep waiting for him like when he looks behind himself for something to be there but then mm -hmm. he stumbles upon uh a bicycle that's down and then you see a car and the door is open and like the lights are on um, and all this stuff. And when he gets up there and then he sees a, a woman, a young girl being assaulted. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, because the character has been to this point, very like reluctant to stand up. He doesn't stand up for himself. He shies away from conflict. Um, but it's, it's when that ends where he grabs the, like the tree branch and you hear the song start to, to come back up and he goes running in and then we cut away from it. We don't see what ends up happening there which I thought was, was very interesting to do that and kind of leave us hanging. Yes. <laughs> and so you're right. Then like, that's such a good sort of J horror style. Everything shot that way, the framing, the pacing, all of that. And then we go to a different story and it's done differently, but it's not like overly stylized either. It's very subtly different. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I loved the, the stuff on the boat. Um, the the champion of justice story was great for all the reasons that was different from the first one and it's it's really fun because so drew and i have been watching a lot of uh tokusatsu on the more you nerd recently like a lot of ultraman and a lot of common rider Mm -hmm. and it does i mean and um 
Kamen Rider's name checked uh, in this film, as are Go Rangers. They're actively shown, uh, which is Super Sentai, the what would become Power Rangers. Yep. Um, but I really liked this kind of felt like an episode of Kamen Rider. Like it's shot in a very similar fashion. And even the bookending stuff with the kids in the music store feels like clerks. Yeah. Like it has that kind of more handy cam style where it's like very realistic looking and it sets the whole like, hey, a comet's coming to Earth and there are there's one hour left. Yeah. And that that's our time frame for this entire film. And I, I hate I always hate talking about films that have uh, multiple vignettes of stories that are interconnected and likening it to Pulp Fiction. But to me, this is the most successful film that I've seen do this since Pulp Fiction. Now, I am a big fan of of anthologies. I love a good horror anthology or sci-fi anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those are always sort of a thing where they're disparate stories and they're meant to just be short stories collected into with maybe a framing device. This, you're right. I think that this is much more akin to like a Pulp Fiction. These stories aren't directly connected until you find out how they're directly connected. Right. And then it's like, oh wow, that's a cool way. Like, and I, I liked it because I started putting those pieces together but not in the same way. Like I was making connections that weren't there, but I thought might be there, but like, mm-hmm. and it was, and it was just fun. Because yeah. The, the movie doesn't punish you for doing that. Cause it's like, Oh, that's a cool idea. But like when you, when you see it, you're like, Oh, this is, this is, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really and is. I think this movie also lives and dies by the fact that the song is phenomenal. Hmm. It is an earworm of the highest order, and it's such, but it's such a well done song, and it's such a good punk rock song. I think if it wasn't, this movie would not feel as effective. Like, I love everything about the movie, but without the song Fish Story being as good as it is, Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't hold the same power. But when you watch the band's story and their effort to get this song made, yeah. It makes you just really root for them. You root for the song, and when they, when you, you've heard this song like four or five times by the time they actively perform it in the studio. Mm-hmm. But even when they do that, you're not sick of it, and you're like, you're kind of like when they have this like this whole thing where they're going against the producer who's telling them to slow it down and make it a ballad, and they're just rocking out, knowing it's the last time they're going to ever record together you feel empowered and you're excited to watch them perform this song. And then you get what fills the moment of silence, which I thought was awesome. So, yeah. So the band, the band stuff was great because you first meet them and you know, they're just trying to, trying to do something. And the, uh, the manager guy sees them at that show we were, we referenced earlier and he's like, I think you guys got something great here. I think, you know, let, let's let's work. To, let me be your manager. Your music's going to change the world type of thing. And then we cut to like a year later and they're they're supposed to be making a record. But you're right. The producer. And this is that same thing where nobody it, punk rock doesn't exist. And so right. the producers like nobody wants to listen to that. They want, you know, slower songs. They want something that they're they're overdubbing their song with like a piano and all this stuff. And the guys are sitting there just hating it because it's not what they want to do. And then you learn later on that they're basically going to get dropped 
and I loved how that whole scene played out because here they are sitting on like a, it was like not a pier. It was like along a river or something. Yeah. It's like, like a, a causeway. Little, um, yeah. And you know, uh, drummers, drummers shoveling noodles in his face, which was great. He's just, he's always eating. I love that fried noodles keep coming up for him. Yeah. <laughs> but he's no like, he's always eating fried noodles, but he's never eating them according to Goro, the singer. Right. Like he's always like, right. Those your fried so noodles fun. aren't fried or you don't fry udon noodle, like all this stuff as he's going on. <laughs> and he's like, he just doesn't care. He just offers him some and then goes back to eating. But you know, the guitar player is getting all disenfranchised because the producer's a, a jackass and he doesn't like him and, and this, that, and the other thing. And then we learn that the record company is going to drop them, uh, that they've got one more. They're going to let them put out their one record and then get rid of them. And that next scene where Shigeki goes home with his girlfriend and the manager is there either waiting for them or shows up. I think he shows up right after they get there. Oh, maybe I think something. But that scene, as it played out, I was like, it, it was an emotional hit because I've I've now had this whole scene with the band, and I've grown to love these these guys. Like these characters yeah, I, are. I would watch an entire entire full length film about the band itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then the manager sits down. And he's like, "Yeah, poor Goro. You know, he has to had to uh, has to lose you guys, but keep going." Type of thing. And Shigeki had no idea that that was going on because mm-hmm. Goro was the one that told him that, but he left that part out. And he it felt like he left it out because he didn't want to... He didn't want to take anything away from the band itself. Like, it's how I, kind right. of, how I read that. was like... Yeah, no, I, I don't see Goro as the kind of person who is trying to betray the band, which is what his girlfriend's worried about. Yes. I think that he didn't want to poison their last session because he still has a decision to make, and we don't know the end decision of that. We, we're never right. told, mm-hmm. you know, if he goes on to do a solo thing or not. But I, I get the I get the impression that he's, he, I don't know, because he has this whole soliloquy in the middle of his recording session mm-hmm. after the bass, after the guitar solo, which is what, where, where the silence comes from because they decide to just cut it out. And I, I love that because it felt like, man, if this band really existed, if this, if this thing actively happened, this is exactly how it would play out. Oh, it feels like the, the best punk rock story. And, and yeah, it was it was so I punk just, rock because that's such a punk rock move in the middle of the recording, knowing it's their only chance because they have been told you get one chance to record one the take. song, yeah. one take, and that's it. And in the middle of that recording, he just goes on this spoken word soliloquy of like, "Well, what if nobody you know listens to this? Why wouldn't they? This is a great song." Like he's doing all this, and his bandmates. <laughs> I love that. Who who wouldn't listen to a song so good? It's it's yeah. so great. Oh, I, I love that scene. And and his bandmates are just loving it and they're going with it and the song gets done and they they just they're riding high they love it and the producers like mm-hmm. we can't we can't do anything with this we got to do another take and this is where it gets super punk rock is the manager's like no no we were told we were doing one take that's it that's what we're doing and he's like well yeah. we, we got to do something we got to rebuild that or whatever no just mute it just cut it out of there and like. Uh, what do you say? It's going to be weird. And the guy, the producer's like, they're not the Beatles. They can't get away with this. He's like, who cares? We don't care. It's not going to sell like, anyway. It's not going to sell. And that's such a punk rock attitude of like, we're just going to do what we want to do because we want to do it. Uh, we don't care. Yeah. We don't care if it sells or not. It's not gonna. So let us do this dumb thing. And 
I love that. And I love that he had the book and he kind of wrote all the lyrics out of that book. And everyone's like, you know, oh, that's plagiarism. No, no, no. It's it's borrowing it. And the manager's like, don't worry. Don't worry about the the rights. It's not a problem. <laughs> like, We're going to worry now because you said not to worry. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the you end up with that scene as they're all sitting around uh, after the recording and they're talking and the four band members just just talking about kind of what happened and how they're still you can tell they're still like riding high on how that went and that recording and he, they're they start waxing philosophical about that book and about where it came from and all this when the manager shows up with his son and then to get the the like brought to our attention that oh yeah the book is just a bunch of gibberish like it's dumb it makes no sense meanwhile shigeki yeah. is like getting into the deepness of this and then to find like just yeah, it was a it was a horrible translation uh, done like out of a dictionary, word for word, by somebody who lied about being able to to do a translate. It's so good, and it just keeps uh, like layer upon layer keeps coming off of this, and I'm like, this is getting more brilliant by the moment. To then yes. title it I, "Fish I, Story," and and it's a song that's had these urban legends built around it, starting in the '80s, and then the guy at the record store in present day in 2012 is talking about it and talking about the, like the history behind it and all this kind of stuff. Which the, the, the visual information that we're given, I to me leads us to believe that the little kid in the bar watching go Rangers is supposed to be the guy at the record store. Okay. So I was curious about that. Was he the one in the record store, or was he the put upon um, driver kid? Because I kind of no, got the, the feeling so the, of both of those. So the put upon driver kid was that just a random? I, I, I think it's just a random guy. I, I don't. I never even thought about him as an as an option of being the put upon put upon driver kid because that's nineteen eighty two, right? So that would have been about, what, six years later? Yeah, I guess he wouldn't have been old enough yet. So it doesn't really track, does it? I think. I mean, honestly, he's a little too old to be, because if he's, you know, six in 1975, he should probably be older than he is in 2012. Maybe, but, but if, way, his, if, the if his... The film like, ta- like cuts away, makes it look like you're supposed to believe that that, that kid grows up to run this record store. Yeah, that was my first impression, was that that was the fact. And then I was, as the, the rest of it unfolded, I was kind of trying to figure out if maybe it was supposed to be the put-upon driver kid. But if that was 1982, then the timeline doesn't quite match up. Um, and honestly, the record store guy, if he doesn't have gray hair, he could be anywhere from 30 to 60. We don't. That's, that's, that's absolutely true, yeah. You never know. <laughs> um, but just just the way that whole scene unfolds where they're talking about the book and the song and the band and the manager. And then the manager's like, yeah, it's just a bunch of bull. And Shigeke goes from like really being into the idea to suddenly he, he gets all distraught. He's like, ah, oh, it takes all the wind out of my sails. But then the rest of the band's like, no, it's great. Fish story's perfect. Like it makes perfect sense. And he comes back around and they, they all embrace this idea that like naming the song fish story and coming up with whatever reason they want to have that mute thing in there that minute of mute uh silence to create a fish story out of their song is so good 
And the fact that Shigeki didn't know what a fish story really was, and he had to kind of be told that, like, yeah, it's a fake story. It's, and so his immediate thing is like, well, I don't want my song to be like a lie. I'm like, no, it's not a lie. You just embellish the story. You make something up that, well, that started with a kernel of truth, and it grows into something more, and then that's what the song ended up doing anyway. Right, and, and they go on to actively explain the plot of the movie within yes. the movie. I oh god, it was so good. <laughs> it was so great and like having and then finding out that so the put upon kid who was being treated like crap by his friends and was told by this girl that he was going to meet, you know, meet somebody and whatnot, finally stands up for himself and then meets that girl. They have a son who he cha- he trains to be the champion of justice, which again, that whole scene on the boat starts and what I loved is all these you little vignettes. <laughs> Yeah, these little vignettes, it's funny because they'll start one way and then they'll they'll turn on you. And like the one on the boat, you know, it starts off, it's on the ferry and so there's all the, the school kids running around and whatnot and you see the girls sit down and then everyone's getting off the boat and I was like, oh no, she didn't get off the boat. And sure enough, there she is sleeping on the boat. So now she's all upset and you got like the one guy who immediately, by the way, that first guy she talks to, uh, I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't like him. He's, yeah, yeah, you, you, you automatically get bad guy energy from him. <laughs> yeah, that, that smile was too, too perfect. It was too smarmy. Um, but when the, uh, when the hospitality guy comes and brings her the first fruit tart, um, and the guy's like, ah, uh, no, sorry, I ordered that. Thank you. And he's like, oh, and he just takes it from her, but then comes back a few minutes later with something else, and just wants to sit down and start telling her his life story out of nowhere. And so it's like this yeah. just goofy little scene in this moment with these two kids. He's probably what, early 20s maybe? Yeah, and he's a goofy looking guy too. Yeah, he's a little goofy looking. She's, you know, probably like 16, 17, uh, I think is what she's supposed to be because they're talking about her going to so. university. So right around that age. And uh, they're just having this conversation. And then all of a sudden the boat gets hijacked. And the hijack of the boat is the guys from the scene just before that with their weird, like end of the world cult. Which I, I was like, okay. When he, when he, when he does his, his, uh, fighting pose with the apple tart, though, oh. it's, it's so great. Yeah. After he's like, told her how he's trained his entire life to be a champion of justice. And it really does come off as like, this guy's just full of hot air, but he's telling her a story right. anyway. And then for that scene to play out where they've got all the guys are hijacking the boat. They've got everybody at gunpoint and he comes out of the, the kitchen with the apple pie <laughs> and his fighting pose while holding the plate of apple pie. is <laughs> so good. And then he just oh, goes yeah. to town on him. Suddenly it becomes like a superhero movie and it's, it's shot just like that. Again, there's that, like that subtle change in the way that things are produced. And now we're, we're using shots and angles and all this and, wicked choreography and I'm watching it and I'm thinking okay at some point one of the he's going to get shot like he has to right they're going to they're going to subvert mm-hmm. that in some way and they did but then he doesn't give up anyway like he's strapped to that chair and he just decides to get out of it somehow I don't even know how he did that but he's a champion of justice he's trained so yeah, you're 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 yeah, you're led to believe that he like somehow like is super jointed and just did what he did. Like cuz you you hear him like kind of like bend his bones or whatever cuz you, yeah. you hear the all the the cracks and stuff, but 
they they don't do they don't they don't actively like show what he's doing which no. is which is fine like mm. i'm i can spend that that belief i mean i, I watch enough uh common rider power rangers ultraman super sentai like i watch enough of that to where i'm like i can i can go down Oh, but absolutely. I also I love the line. The bullet went straight through, so it doesn't count as a wound. <laughs> yes, like, <laughs> like he's like, oh, it went straight through. It's not, it's not. It's not really a wound. I'm like, no, bro, you're wounded. <laughs> yeah, you're you're wounded, and it's no good. Um, and I did gloss over, and I forgot there was the the short scene where the the um the really kind of jackass guy that was treating him like crap, um, treating the the one driver dude like crap. Oh, yeah, and yeah, his yeah. friend joined this like end of the world cult for 1999. That yeah, ended up being, of course, crap. Um, but the the other two sort of uh, bishops—I don't know what you would call them—members of that cult, like, kind yeah, of, they 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 are leading the charge for their new Noah's Ark. That's why yeah. they they hijack Barry. Whereas the the one guy who we haven't mentioned, who is, um kind of the star of the bookend initially as we see this guy kind of in a um little like, scooter yep uh, going going through an abandoned city alleyway and comes across this record store and because he has says that he has predicted this is going to happen yeah uh, he says something like a, a blonde haired prince is going to cause in the world or something 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 that degree yeah and it's basically it was an allegory for a comet he even says that yeah. at one point. And and it took me a minute to realize that that was the same person. Yeah, because they do his hair a little different. Yeah. And and he, like, I, I guess, you know, did other things after afterwards. Um, I, I love how these stories intersect. I love how, like, you find out that, because at the very end of the film, the comet is destroyed, even though it had an infinitesimal, like, percentage chance of succeeding they tell you that at the very beginning of the film but the person who calculated that was the girl who was saved on the boat mm -hmm. who was raised by the the father who was the guy who meets the girl when he's you know the, when he say when we find out is that he saved the well he kind of helped save the girl who was being assaulted she kind of saves herself yeah uh but they fall in love and have the champion of justice who ends up saving her, who ends up saving the world. Yeah. And by a proxy, Fish Story, a punk rock song saves the world. And I I love the message of that because, you know, I think that was kind of the promise of the internet age in a sense, where there were so many artists, so many bands who were amazing and had one two maybe even just an ep worth of material actively out for the public before they called it a day or had to call it a day and some of those acts made some of the best music you'll ever hear and unfortunately just didn't, didn't work out and now we are in a fortunate position where we can actively kind of rediscover some of this stuff i mean i'm sure you have the same the same thing where like you have this one band who like you can't believe wasn't bigger than they were Maybe they had an album. Maybe they had two, but they made some of the best music you've ever heard. Yeah, um, actually, I'm trying to find the one that I'm thinking of right now because there was a song by a group uh, that was a little bit punk rock, a little bit kind of alternative rock. 
early 2000s. Um, I will find it here uh, in a minute, but I could not believe they didn't have a bigger career than they did. I think they only did one album. But I loved that. I, I just love how this movie unfolded and more and more would happen. I love when movies do that anyway. Like, it's fun. when it, And it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be some sort of a mystery or murder mystery or, or anything like that. It's just things unfold and you start to learn more and these inner these these disparate stories start to fall into place in a way that yes it's a little silly but also like it totally works it 100 percent like i buy all of it i buy that that a led to b led to c and it's just cool to then get the parts the 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 connecting pieces uh as it goes and then have it all tied up with that band and that song and the way that the song evolved throughout the movie, because it starts off, you you learn about it, and it's like, yeah, this is one of the earliest punk rock songs, right? It's like a year before the Sex Pistols, and then it's an urban legend. But then as you go along and you learn more and more, the song becomes just sort of a thing that happened, but it was almost like fated to happen. And these guys in this yes. band just wrote a hell of a song, and then made it into more than it was with this attitude they had of like, well, it's never going to sell anyway, so we can just do whatever we feel like. It was, oh, I loved that. I, I think, I think because every segment is played straight, but specifically because they do this whole like pit stop to give you a, a biopic of a band that never existed Mm-hmm. And you get this intimate portrayal of a group of of young men at a crossroads. Like, do you, do they remain true to who they are, or do they compromise compromise their vision to a spool producer in hopes that maybe they make a little money? And the fact that they give this authentic dedication to like the the fierce independent spirit that fanned the flames of punk to begin with, I think is what makes this movie work. Is the fact that this is a genuine love letter to not just genre and not just music but that that independent spirit that that creative hope that even if you're a little left of center the fact that if you stick with your vision and see it through that at some point it's going to matter to somebody and i think that that fierce hope is such a beautiful thing that this movie delivers so well yes yes it absolutely does it does it in in a way that I haven't seen in a while either. And I certainly haven't had that experience while watching a movie, like feeling that, that kind of fierce hope. And so, and having it on a, on a background of, of punk rock is perfect. Really yeah. Is. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly a, a thing for me. And I, I mean, it didn't matter if it was punk rock or not, but just because it's punk rock makes it a little more special for me. Yeah. Um, like I was one of those kids who was like finding that kind of stuff. And then obviously, you know, in 94, I discovered, you know, Green Day and and they became my favorite band. And I found other things and went back and listened to, you know, the, the germs and uh, Stiff Little Fingers and stuff like that. But like, I think that stuff like this, uh, films like this, and there's another there's another Japanese film that uh, I'm probably going to have to make you watch um, called One Cut of the Dead that is equally as beautiful as this in a different way um i've heard of this, that one this that's the one yeah, where they're making movie. one cut of the dead mm-hmm. is where they're making mm-hmm. a zombie movie right 
I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say anything because I, like this movie, the less you know, the better. Sure, but like that's the um, that, that yes, that's yes. what I know yeah. of it is like it's it's people making a movie, so it's like a yeah, movie within a movie. This is a movie. So when when uh, Drew and I took about a year and a half off of the more you nerd, um, and when we came back, uh, unfortunately the pandemic started, and so we decided to to do a month dedicated to comfort food movies, and sure. I made Drew watch this because this is one of my comfort food movies because nothing makes me feel better like. Even if the world's on fire, I know that there are there are expressions like this that exist. And I feel like, you know, with there with, with being with there's so much toxicity, you know, in the ether, mm-hmm. this this film has that kind of hopefulness that infects you for for days, you know, really, and kind of, yeah. kind, of, kind of like a, like a really like infectious chorus, you know, like, like a great song. Like it, it just gets in your head. It's got a hook and, and that hook yes. grabs you. And then like a good, like, again, music is such a great background to use for this because a good song will have that hook and it will pull you in. Right. And then the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it and you start finding new stuff within that song mm-hmm. or within that band. And then maybe it goes from it goes from that song to that band to that genre and you start branching out and hearing other bands and things like that. This is a, that's what this movie does. It's got this hook and it pulls you in. And it's it's a for me this was like a surprising uh comfort film because I can easily see myself kind of coming back to this as something like I just need to I need to un- unwind and watch something that's just going to make me feel good. And like, this is a mm-hmm. movie that would do that. Amelie is another one. And I think that's why I had those oh, parallel yeah. feelings to it was because I didn't expect either of these movies to be like, I, I genuinely like movies. And so I just like a good story being told. And it takes right. a lot for me to be like, I can't watch that movie ever again. But you know, it's, it's one thing to kind of like a movie and it was another thing to have, have a movie kind of hit me in, in these different levels to the point where I was just like, Ooh, I just, I, I, I really dig this and I want more, like I want to watch it again. And I want, I would totally watch an entire biopic of that band. Yeah, and I would, I would too. <laughs> so I did find, by the way, the band that I was talking about, uh, it was a band called Angerica and they had a song out in the early 2000s. They were only active as a band for about six years, but they had this song out called the smell and it's this kind of little bit punk rock, uh, slightly hard rock um, song. And it's just this really catchy tune. And I never heard anything else from them. And it surprised me because that song was so good that you just expected to like hear more. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that that kind of thing happens. And it, it, it does. It bums me out because as many I, I mean. I followed plenty of bands that I, I love and I'm, I'm happy that I've had long, long lives, but there are so many bands that I've, I've like, Oh man, they only had one album and like no one ever heard them. Yeah. Or it feels like no one ever heard them. Like there was a, there was a emo adjacent band called Lola Ray that mm-hmm. was really, really good in the mid two thousands. They made one record and nothing happened. Um, and there, there. I mean, there are so many bands that I, I've become huge, huge fans of, and you know, they they kind of disappeared, or you know, their lead singer decided that he wanted to make 
films in South America and has never been seen again. <laughs> um, which was a, there's the metalcore band I used to listen to called Sense by Man from uh, Milwaukee, I think, mm. or Wisconsin. That uh, they they broke up after releasing their best record. Uh, that stuff happens, and, and so it's kind of cool to see this kind of this love letter to not just music, but also every band that didn't get their due, everyone that put out a creative effort and weren't understood, understood in their time period. And so not only is this movie excellent, just it's a, it's a good film. It's a good, mm-hmm. it's a feel good film. And especially when I was watching it early in pandemic, it makes made me feel great, but it's, it's layered in such a way that it works as a mixtape. It works as a love letter to music in a way that a lot of films that are supposed to be love letters to music don't. Um, right. I, I don't know why the one that, that popped in my head is high fidelity, which is, you know, everyone's go to in like film about music. Mm-hmm. And it, even though that movie has a killer soundtrack and some, some good blurbs, there's a lot about music that doesn't really land. In that and I film, think, it's 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 a it's, it's a rom com that's disguised as a clerk's like about music. Yes, in a sense, that's a good way to put it because it's it's a rom com first, and it's mm-hmm. and music is secondary to the rom com aspects of it. It's important, right. But it's not the the main thing. This was like this put music and structure of music kind of at the forefront of what's going on and without it like you could take the music part of high fidelity out and give it a different sort of a different hook and you're gonna have basically the same movie yeah you can't take the music part of this movie out of it and have anything close to what you get you can't even changing the band i think would make a huge difference because yeah i i agree because like it's so integral to the the absolute structure and narrative of the film mm-hmm. that removing any element disrupts everything. Yeah, because punk rock at its core is very counterculture, very very counter establishment, I should say. Um and it's very yeah. much of like, you know, just giving the middle finger to people that tell you you can't do something and doing it because yes I can. Like somebody yeah. saying you can't you you don't know how to play guitar. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, Johnny Ramone might have only known how to play three chords at a time, but he could play the hell out of those chords, you know. And hey, look, I'm I'm, wear, I'm wearing the T-shirt of a band that that made a career off three chords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And so to have that that type of band be the backbone of this narrative, and then because the movie starts off that that framing device in the record store, you've got the the middle aged man who's just he's given up. He's given up on everything. He knows the world's ending. And but he's known, quote unquote, known the world's going to end for years. So he's been just racking up bills and doing all these decadent things. He talks about how he's had, um, you know, uh, threesomes, threesomes, and had had, like birds nests from China and all this weird stuff. All this like incredibly because he he just assumed the world's going to end. I'm just going to do whatever I want. He's had stomach cancer and did nothing about it, and just let it ravage his body because he was going to die anyway. And so why do anything? And then there's the kid that's in there who was completely clueless of the comet somehow, um, which that made me laugh at first when he comes, when the, when the guy's like, why are you even open? There's nobody going to be shopping. And then we, we quick snap cut to that kid in the background. He takes the headphones off. Like you were totally right. He's just there to buy music, but he, (laughs) he has that hope. He has that hope. He doesn't want to give up. 
And he literally right. lays out in the beginning of the movie what's going to happen at the end. And I love that. I always love when a movie can do that. Where he's like, no, it'll, it'll, now it's- it'll work out by some freak accident. Um, it'll, it, you know, th- there's a chance. But he's like, he doesn't give up on that. And so that's that, again, that punk rock attitude of like, I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to see it. Which is why I think that store owner might be the kid from the 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 fish story like restaurant scene because like i could totally see him like having the faith that something's gonna happen and i'm just i'm just gonna go to work i'm it's business hours i'm gonna do what i need to do and i i love that it makes me love that even more yeah the more i think about it the more i agree with that I love that they have these little like like they don't they don't overdo it they don't get full clerks like no. they have a couple conversations about uh, punk rock itself like they they have um this this very light conversation that if you know what they're talking about you know what they're talking about where they talk about the Sex Pistols cover of My Way yeah uh, or Sid cover of My Way and um you know how this guy's being introduced to punk rock in, in general. Yep. And so it's like, oh, that, this is so cool. This is like a like a, a satire almost. And and I didn't know this was punk rock. And I mean, I've heard people say that kind of thing. Oh, I didn't know this was pu- what, what punk was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. But <laughs> yeah. like it's it's fun to see that, like like to, to see the active like engagement of someone trying to discover music in a film that's also trying to introduce you to music that never existed. It's really cool. And the fact that, again, this, this song kind of lives in this movie lives and dies, but how good the song is. And Mm. fish story is a banger. It really is. All right. So fictional bands from movies or television shows. And now there's a, for me, there's going to be just a touch of recency bias because the song is stuck in my head, but this is one of the best fictional bands songs in in a thing that i can think of um because i always think of like uh uh what was the band that thing you do that thing you do that's a great one because the wonders were awesome and that music the music was so good the oneaters (laughs) i think of i think of the wonders i think of spinal tap i think of Mm -hmm. uh what was in almost famous what was the band in that stillwater yeah that's that sounds right um, the Soggy Bottom um, Boys, Danny Ora brings up in the chat. Soggy Bottom Boys, a man of constant Soggy sorrow, is such a good song. That song, that song slaps. Um, it really does. Um, I, I would, I would say, um, I'm blanking on what their name is, but uh, Metalocalypse. Oh yeah, Death Clock. Uh, Death Clock. Death Clock. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite fake bands of of all time. I was okay, so I was just having this conversation the other day because on Twitter somebody had put up. Uh, the question of what is a what are some of the best examples of a parody of a thing or a genre that becomes a good example of that thing? And one of my Shaun of the Dead. One of mine was Shaun of the, Shaun of the Dead or or Hot Fuzz. Either one of those, because I think Hot Fuzz is a fun action movie too. The way that they, oh, it's fantastic. That, that whole, but but another one was Metalocalypse and, and Death Clock. Death Clock is a parody mm-hmm. of black metal death metal bands, but it's also a damn good death metal black metal band Look, like there's a reason brandon smalls was opening up for mastodon exactly like, <laughs> like they it's good stuff so um i but, would also say josie and the pussycats from the 2001 film or uh the archies if you want to go back a ways yeah. i mean the archies yeah. would be one um you could go with uh, uh the partridge family is another 
band. I mean, you might not be the type of music. The Monkees. The Monkees would be one I would put on my oh, list. Oh, no, but I actively liked the music they made for the Josie the Pussycats, like, 2000s film. Yeah. Because they had, like, um, oh, gosh, what's her name from Letters to Cleo uh, and oh. Biff Naked doing the music. Um, I know. Hanley. Yes. Um, and that music is legit solid. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I will I will put the Monkees on my list because I do love that music and that, that group was created for like that the show. Yeah. Like the Monkees is great. There's so many of these really good, you know, quote unquote fictional bands. Some of them go on to put out albums like the Monkees, like uh, Death Clock or the you know Spinal Tap. Some mm -hmm. of them only exist. What was the some of the bands in Scott Pilgrim versus the World? Some of that because oh, the songs were so yeah. good. Um, Didn't Metric do one of the songs for one of the bands? I think so. It's been it's been a couple years since I've seen the movie, so I, I can't I at remember. Least think. I, I at least think Emily Haynes wrote something for that 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 thing. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, all, all the music in that in that movie is fantastic. But um, there, there's uh, a, there's a good history of like fake bands having really good music. Yeah, and some of it is because you get you know good musicians working on the movie and or the show or whatever it is, and they'll they'll bring something out of it. Sometimes, um, you know, you get like Danny Elfman involved in in something, and he can bring his history to it, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but this is up there with one of the best ones. Certainly as a, they don't, they maybe only have the one song as, uh, well, as the band I think it was only the, the com I think the composer just made the song. So yeah. like, I don't know if there was an actual band that existed to, to create it, which is right. a little bit different than some of the people we brought up, but this is one of my favorites. I, I agree. Like really this is. is such a cool song and it's, the fact that it captures an authentic sound that was developing at a specific time period so well and so and this sounds weird but like realistically like i can see like this this actively happening happening the way that they presented that story mm -hmm. is in in such a way that like oh it would it would 100% make sense that some band did this that was unsung in Japan, which therefore meant that no one ever heard it yep. a year before the Sex Pistols. I could 100% see that happening because, look, the Sex Pistols get a lot of credit for stuff they may or may not deserve. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, you know, there was something happening in, in rock and roll in the 70s at the time. Like, there was something in the water. And yeah, there was. I don't think any single act gets critics you had television doing stuff you had and not only that but you had like at, like musicians like chuck berry doing stuff that was so punk rock at the time oh yeah as, as we know it oh. that i i don't i i don't agree with the the kind of uh the through thread that oh it starts with the sex pistols because one the ramones formed a year before the sex pistols did so uh -huh, there's that exactly. too but I, well, I just I don't I don't trust that that whole thing because the whole the whole thing about punk rock was the fact that it was unorganized and it was just a rea a general reaction to what was going on at the time and, and we, so to, to to have that in Japan it makes sense yeah and and it's it's a it seems like or it feels like a natural kind of flow that that especially rock music has gone through these phases where. In the early 70s, everything was getting very uh, esoteric, very overproduced. You had a lot of, like Led Zeppelin, who I love Led Zeppelin, but some of their later albums started getting very produced and very heavy, and you were getting a lot of progressive rock stuff and these uh, kind of navel-gazing, 
and intricate and and then there was this this sea change where younger kids were like i don't want to listen to any of that crap and like it's yeah. this organic thing with the ramones with uh so the the song according to imdb trivia again grain of salt but that they mentioned that it's kind of an improvisation on the riff from new rose by the damned which was the first punk huh. rock single in the uk was new rose and i did go and listen to it earlier today and it very you can you can feel that that dna in there so the damned put out new rose and my guess is that the composer for this this song listened to that and is like that's perfect we rework it a little bit don't make it exactly the same but similar structure because it's a punk song and it works perfectly and then so I completely would buy that there was something like this going on in Japan at the same time and and because it was happening in the US and the UK at the same time all over the place because we saw the same thing happen what 10 20 years later t- 10 or 15 years later with kind of the grunge yeah. movement right because rock rock throughout the 80s started getting more and more excessive and you got more hair metal and it kind of all became this thing and then all of a sudden late in the late 80s is this organic kind of growing movement of stripping everything down and getting the sound getting all fuzzy and dirty and grimy and you get the grunge movement and then mm-hmm. that whole thing goes through the 90s and what happened in the early 2000s we had the garage bands we had the white stripes the um oh all those bands that were uh the hive the vines kind of all growing at that yeah, same the, the, time the, the so-called like indie rock movement right you know you had the strokes and everything the strokes were another but one, you yeah. also had you, you also had like the new the, the new pop punk explosion yep um from the, the basically the kids who were were fed off of the tony hawk soundtrack from the, the mid 90s <laughs> yeah. and the, the skate punk from the the southern cal scene and you say so that that's you get your fallout boy your drive to records bands your 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 warp tour scene basically mm-hmm it's funny you mentioned New Rose. So I'm I'm watching the video now, and I'm like, oh, this is very much the vibe of that recording session. And if you go back and, and look at if you look at that, and you go back and look at early Ramones stuff, you look at um, Black Flag from that sort of early '80s era. It all has that same feel, right? It's high energy. It's yeah. Uh, it's three four guys on stage at the same time. Um, in a tiny little stage, right? Cause they're playing these little, little tiny venues. And like, it's such that, that feel of early punk. And it just feels like that thing that was going to happen mm-hmm. no matter what, yeah. there was no, no I, way to I, stop I, I, that. I absolutely agree. And I honestly, like the, the, the band stuff, like reminds me of like my favorite, like punk biopics. Like a lot of people gave it kind of some shade at the time because it had a specific named actor in it. But uh, what we do is secret. The germs film is really solid. Like, yes, it does play with reality a little bit, just like every biopic ever made does. Yeah. But Shane West's performance as Darby crash is phenomenal. So, so much so the band was like, Hey, we can, we we could tour with this guy. And they (laughs) did. Um, and it, but but some of the stuff when they're when they're, when we're, they're showing Darby actually re- recording gives me the same vibes of watching this band record. Like it's it's there's an authenticity to the music in this movie, even though the band never existed. That I it's so important 
to the film's overall message. And the fact oh, that yeah. they got that part right just blows me away. And it's why it's, it's it, this is this movie is one of my favorite movies. Like it's in my top ten. I didn't want to say that like out the gate, but like <laughs> I. It's it's one that like I always want to like push to people that I think might appreciate it, and I'm so happy that you liked it. Um, and hey, Drew look, was equally receptive, uh, my co-host for the More You Nerd, and it just made me so happy that like I know that you were a music guy, but I couldn't remember like where you where you lied in 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 your preferences. I mean, I lean I lean rock and roll. I lean you know that's what I grew up listening to rock and blues, uh, and then I mm-hmm. got in I became a big metalhead when I got when I was younger. And uh, still listen okay, to a lot cool. of metal now, um, but punk is always a part of that because it's like I I got hooked on the Ramones and just ate that up and all that kind of stuff. But for me, like I always hate the cop out answer of like I'd like everything, but I like good I songs it. and I like good compositions, and so I yeah. can you can find that in so many different ways. Now there are certainly subgenres and styles that I don't care for. I don't like uh, a lot of pop doesn't. It's got to be a good. There are some pop songs that will that will hit for me, but on the whole, yeah. the way pop is put together doesn't work for me. That's just I'm, my a, I'm a Carly Rae Jepsen uh, stand myself. <laughs> uh. But I'll tell you what, man. I will get uh, I will get the t-shirts and I will help evangelize this movie uh, for with you because I want to spread this to more people, just like I did with Amelie, just like I've done with a few of these surprise movies that I've gotten to see doing this show. This is one of those that's like, I feel like. Don't let the fact that it is a Japanese film and it is subtitled stop you from watching it because you're not you're not losing anything there. And it's, it's so hypnotic. <laughs> it really is, and it's such a good movie. And I, uh, it's one of those that I feel like you have to give a chance, and then maybe even watch it a couple of times. I'm going to watch it a bunch mm-hmm. more because I know I'm going to I'm going to get more out of it every time I watch it. I can I can already like tell that. I mean. nothing makes me happier than to hear you say that because this is a movie that I have kind of evangelized and I try to make people watch because, and and that's what I love about your show. Cause initially we were going to do something very, very different because I hadn't seen it. You hadn't seen it. That, that would have been a fun experiment, but I also was like, you know what? I also want to make Travis watch this movie. That means a lot to me that I'm pretty sure he hasn't seen. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about your show is like these accents can happen. And it's the thing, like it's what got me to really start the show was my love of, I love this movie. I want to, I want to show it to you. And so the fact, like I adore doing that. I love just, just getting somebody's reaction to movie and, and showing them something new. So I completely understand how that can feel for you. And I like being on the receiving end of it too. I love that. I love this. Like, Wow, I never would have thought. Uh, when somebody brought up, it was uh, like Sunset Boulevard, you know that, and it's a movie that's mm-hmm. a classic. But I was like, I never got around to watching it. Ah, it's an old movie. I don't know. I watched that and I was just like, this is amazing. I can't believe I, I slept mean, on this movie for so long. Like, why didn't I just watch it? I I was that way when I did uh, the Big Lebowski on your show. Yeah, exactly. Like I had never seen Big Lebowski, and I mean that's that's a big one. You know, everyone's seen it a million times. I had never seen it. And I, I was, I was honestly so happy to, to discover that I loved it as much as everyone else did. It was uh, one of those wandering LA films that I'm just, I'm super, super into. Shane Black loves making those. And yeah. 
I, I love that he writes more of them. So <laughs> I hope he continues to do so. But I'm I I'm just I'm so happy that you had the same reaction. I, I didn't want to preface this with like, oh yeah, this is in my top ten. Like I love this movie so much. And I don't want to put any of that pressure on you. I will say for me, it probably wouldn't have made a whole lot of difference in how it hit for me, but I'm I'm also very glad that you did it that way. That you didn't front load me with anything going into this. So I got to kind of see it fresh. And the beauty of it is we've explained so much about this movie and yet it's, you're still like, you can watch it for that first time and it's going to, you're not going to think of anything that we talked about, but the music like, and, and it's so, so good that way. So yeah, this is absolutely seek this out. If you can find it, like I say, it's on archive.org. I think I might, um, because it's archive.org, I think I might even throw the, the link to that in the show notes. Yeah, you should. Um, I and the 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 fish story Blu-ray is not super hard to get a hold of. Amazon has it for looks like eighteen dollars and twelve cents and a three nine nine delivery fee. Um, I I can vouch for this release as long as it's this one by Third Window Films. Okay, uh, it's worked on my Xbox and it works on my PlayStation. So I would assume it works on most American things. They they had told me themselves that it's. It says re- region B, but it's it's it will work anywhere. Excellent. Um, I, I would imagine they probably have to say it's region B. I don't know if that's true about all of them because the cool thing about that imprint is their whole thing is bringing weird genre Asian films to the West, uh, specifically the UK. But I haven't I haven't bought any of their other releases, so I can't speak for that. But I, I can speak for this specific one, and it's far less expensive than when I bought the DVD from the library. Um, <laughs> Excellent. So definitely though, ser- search out this movie fish story, watch it. I think it's just worth, worth your time. Uh, it's just such a fun, fun movie. And there's so much that fierce hope is a perfect, perfect wording for that. Um, plus you're going to get a, a dope, dope punk song stuck in your head. It's going to be there. Yeah. It's going to dig in there. And, and like, I'm still, like wanting to just, I want to go sit down at a drum kit and play that beat because it's just so good. Yeah, it's oh. it's it's so catchy. I love that. Um, it's 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 a phenomenal song, and I think that that's what ties that's what ties the room together. Mm-hmm. Um, this this movie is phenomenal, but it's tied together by an excellent song, and that's what makes you root for everything. Like, it really would not have worked if the song wasn't as good as it was. No, you know the song has to hit, and it does, and. Uh, Go watch it, and you're welcome. Um, because you, I, I really feel like anybody that watches this is just is you're just gonna. It's it's just fun. It's it's good. It's warm. It's comforting. It really is. Um, now you've mentioned a couple times a show. The more you nerd, um, yeah. And I know that's a show you do with Drew, who was here just a couple weeks ago. And uh, what let people know about that show and kind of where what you guys are working on. Yeah, so uh, right now we are in the middle of Ultramanuary, where we are kind of trying to uh, give a uh, a smattering of tastings of the franchise Ultraman. Uh, but yeah, we, we are a, a nerd show that is trying to expand our nerd horizons, and each month we do some sort of theme to... Um, review and experience things that we either haven't done before or someone has suggested us to do and look at it from an objective lens because we feel like there's too much negativity on the internet and we want to look at things just purely as they are. Mm -hmm. And if something exists, why someone loves it. 
And so, yeah, right now we're doing Ultraman, and it's been a blast. We both recently did the uh, Shin Ultraman theatrical experience <laughs> and had a great time. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so we... So I've been a Tokusatsu fan for a while because I'm I'm a Power Rangers person. So I got into Super Sentai and offhand, we just decided to do a Kamen Rider month recently in November. And Drew got hooked on Kamen Rider. Boy, did he ever. And I mean, for good reason. Kamen Rider is excellent. Um, I was blown away by how how good it was because I I only knew it as Master Rider in the States from when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and had never gone back to revisit. And so when we when we went back and did uh, we did the original series, Kamen Rider Black, Kuga and uh, Gaim, because I I'm a big fan of Kamen Rider Gaim, uh, had an oh and uh, First Aid uh, or X-Aid. had an absolute blast and some some of the best like on-screen superhero television i've ever seen but yeah i mean that's what we do every month we just review nerd stuff and have a good time and it's so much fun i I love the show because of just you and drew your energy and what you bring the idea of like you will say when something is not any good or there's things that you don't like, but you never do it in a mean-spirited way, and it's always a it's right. a very positive show, which, as somebody who also tries to do a very positive show, I appreciate that wholeheartedly. Plus, you did an entire month on John Candy in December, and so... Yeah, so that was, weirdly enough, an, uh, a suggestion by Drew's wife, but, like, John Candy has meant so much to me mm-hmm. For my entire life, so getting to spend a month doing his stuff, and then especially spending uh, some time with his SCTV work, which I I didn't have a lot of experience with uh, since I was a kid. Like, I I think that John Candy is is one of the the best people to spend your time on. Um, Like, every story you read about him just seems to be like wholesome and great, and his his energy in any film just lights up the entire room. I am. I, I have put it on my my list of I need to find somebody who hasn't seen The Great Outdoors just so I can watch it again and talk to somebody about it because I love that movie so much and it's such a big part of my childhood. I mean, I'll pretend not to see it and I'll do it with you. <laughs> I mean, we'll just talk off air about about The Great Outdoors because that movie, amazing. It's great. Um, but uh, yeah, the, there's it's just it's just a fun show. The more you nerd is a fun show. I've been on it a couple times. Um, I'm actually yeah. going through things I want to try and pitch you guys to to get me get myself back on there because we'd love to have you back. Yeah, always, absolutely. Always and it. also, thank you so much. This past summer, you did like an impromptu uh, appearance on uh, our our live uh, riffing feed to watch Velocipaster. And when you popped in the chat room, I was like, um, Drew. Travis is in here. Let's get Travis on here. Like, there, there's no reason he shouldn't be. And thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. I had a blast. That was that was the perfect way for me to watch Velocipaster, and uh, and I just I had, a, I had a fun one. time. Oh man! The, so are they doubling the budget for this? Is it going to be twenty four dollars? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> we're going to triple the cardboard budget. It's a dollar fifty. Oh, Sounds good. Love it. Um, yeah, but like you and Drew are, are wonderful guests to have on here. I love having you guys on. Thank and you're some, you. of, you're some of my favorite people just doing podcasts because you bring just a great energy to it. So thank you for being here this week. And No, thank sinc- you. I mean, we feel the exact same way about you. And sincerely, thank you for, for suggesting this movie because 
I was just blown away by how much I enjoyed this. The more I think about it, the better it gets too, which is the fun part. It honestly, honestly, the best thing that you could have said was that like, it makes me so happy that you, you enjoyed it as much as you did like that. That's, that is the best gift. And for me, for a movie that has no clips to get, because everything's in Japanese, so like playing audio clips of that's going to do nothing for an English language show. Uh, that says something, by the way. So I, I had I had a blast with this movie, and thank you so much for being here this week. Uh, we'll definitely definitely get you and Drew back again. And I'm I'm working on some ideas of some stuff for more you nerds. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you know. Love to have you. Excellent. Well, uh, this show records Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at Twitch.tv/tvstravis. You can hang out live and be in the chat with Faylin, Daniora, Ace, um, and and just enjoy what goes on. And then Wednesdays, it comes out as a podcast everywhere you get your podcast, or head on over to the newly redesigned tvstravis.com, and uh, you can find the show there, where you can also find merchandise or Patreon link for this show, where you can uh, support the show for as little as a dollar an episode. Um as well, also, uh, ratings and reviews on your podcatcher, huge for the show, makes it more discoverable. I love that and appreciate it. Uh, and I just appreciate all of you out there listening. Um, thank you so much for helping to keep me doing this for 200 plus episodes. I can't believe I just did my 200th episode not that long ago and we're just going to keep going. So next week, uh, I've got Theo from, oh, I know his show, but I can't think of the title of it now. He was a contestant on America's Next Top Podcaster this past season. We are going to watch uh, a movie called No Escape. And uh, I haven't seen it before, but it's Martin Campbell directed, and it stars Ray Liotta. And so I'm kind of hooked because Martin Campbell is the director of two of my favorite James Bond movies of all time, Goldeneye and Casino Royale. So I'm... I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. That's next week uh, is called No Escape. And then uh, coming up as well, I've also got, uh, I'm going to be showing somebody Howard the Duck for the first time. I can't wait for that. That's going to be a trip. Uh, And in a couple of weeks, Tom Merritt's going to come on and we're going to talk about Titanic. So that should be fun too. He's never seen Titanic. I I can't wait to hear the story of how, like just how you hadn't seen it. So, uh, we'll see, but, uh, that's, what's coming up here, but miles truly thank you for being here this week. This was a blast. Always, I, I had it's always time. fun, but man, this was, this was like something extra this week. So I'm, I'm so happy that you love this as much as I do. So it, it, thank you. And, uh, and we'll definitely be people check out the more you nerd. It's super, super fun. So until next time, remember to enjoy your movies and 2023 let's be excellent to each other